Holy Father, you are the creator of all we see and the creator of many things that we don't yet see. And we stand before you this morning as a gathering of sinners, as a gathering of saints who have been given to you by our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in his protective care and we call on you in his name. We ask that your name would be honored by all. May the fear of the Lord be real among your people. This morning we ask that you would receive our worship and that you would stir up our hearts to love you and to sense your presence with us. We pray that this morning's worship service would be genuine worship, worship in spirit and in truth, an authentic outpouring of our hearts and lives toward you and not some careless thoughtless, automated repetition of forms. We know in our head at least that we are your church, part of your plans going back to eternity. You already knew about us since long ago. And just as we have trusted you to save us, we need to trust you day by day for all of life's problems and difficulties. You have promised that you are always there. And always ready to help us when we call on you. We ask that you would forgive us for neglecting to call on you more regularly. For replacing prayer with worry. For replacing trust in you with trust in ourselves. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and look into our hearts and minds this morning. Your light and your grace shines into the darkest corners of our lives. And it shows us our needs, even as it assures us that your grace is sufficient in all circumstances. We pray for our church today. We pray that this congregation would be about your business and driven by your priorities. We pray that we would serve the world and call sinners to repentance We pray that we would cultivate spirit-filled lives. We pray that we would bring the next generation to Christ. Forgive us when we are focused on our own comfort rather than advancing the kingdom of God. We pray for our missionary Andrew Brunson today. We pray that you preserve his life and that you cause him to be released from prison in Turkey. We pray for the people of Turkey, that they might know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We pray for stability and the restoration of the rule of law in Turkey, and for the peace and the safety of her citizens. We pray your blessing upon the students of Valley Christian School. We ask that they would learn well, and in all of their studies see you as the creating and sustaining reality behind the transient things that appear to our senses We pray your blessing upon all who work for their daily bread. And we thank you for that provision. We ask that their labors would be honest, that they would benefit those they serve. We pray that those jobs would provide our people with what they need, adequate income, and meaningful work. We pray for the people in Texas who have had their lives rearranged by this hurricane We pray for the quick recovery of communities, 
for the protection and relief of the weakest, for the strengthening of social fabric under the stress of disaster, and for an increased reliance on you in all of life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Heavenly Father, we pray to you because you are God and we are not. You have promised to provide for all of our needs. You commanded us to pray without ceasing. You said that you are able to accomplish more than we ask or can imagine. As we ask for these gifts, we ask above all else that you would increase our love for you, that you would cultivate our reverence of you, and that you would bind us always to your heart. These favors we ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So our second reading this morning is from John chapter 18, uh, verses 15 through 27. But before I launch into that, I want to uh, offer a few pointers to clarify the text before we begin to dig into it. Uh, in, you'll remember last week in the previous scene, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was arrested by a detachment of Roman soldiers and by officials from uh, the uh, Jewish high priest. In that scene, Peter drew a sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, who was a, a servant of the high priest. In the scene that we will read this morning, Jesus has been, ta- has been arrested and he's been taken away. And now the, sh- the scene shifts to the house of the high priest. Um, and in verse 15 we read, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. This other disciple, of course, is none other than John himself who is, who is writing this gospel. And so what we have here in this account is a first-hand eyewitness account of what happened that evening uh, at the house of the high priest. So hear the word of the Lord as recorded for us In John chapter 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? 
Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if I, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have the words of life. Where else can we turn? May we hear, receive, believe, and act on your word today. This we pray in your precious name. Amen. So this morning's sermon owes a great deal to an interesting fellow who was both an astronomer and a Presbyterian pastor. His name is W. Maynard Pittendray, and I have to tip my hat to him this morning even though he is not here because uh, the content of this sermon is heavily dependent upon him. You may not have heard of this man, but in 1994... In Sky and Telescope magazine, he published Pittendray's Law of Planetary Motion, which has something to do with the years moving faster as we get older. Some of you, even those of you who are not astronomers, have experienced this phenomenon of the years moving faster as we get older. My daughter, Mia, is entering the second grade at Valley Christian School. She has been champing at the bit for a while now for school to start. She's missed her friends. She was excited about her new school supplies. She wanted to meet her new teacher. And this summer, she managed to take trips to Missouri and Florida and Vermont, not to mention frequent trips to see her cousins in Brooklyn. And to hear Mia tell it all, here in the beginning of September, the summer has lasted forever. I, on the other hand, am still waiting for my first tan line, And I didn't even get around to spring cleaning. The line from Pittendray's interesting paper that I love most is this. I burn with curiosity about what lies behind the sky. It's a great line from an astronomer. The flapdoodle over the recent solar eclipse, which lasted about as long as the flapdoodle over the Mayweather-McGregor fight, was a little disappointing to me because it focused on the wonders of creation without paying homage to the Creator. Did anyone notice that the moon is exactly the right diameter and exactly the right distance from the earth so that during the eclipse we can see the solar corona in the infinite variety of possible diameters and distance. Did you ever wonder why it is exactly right 
for us to see this marvel? Coincidence is what one of my friends told me. Psalm 19, 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the skies proclaim the works of His hands. Anytime you look up, I hope you burn with curiosity about what lies beyond the sky. Because as wonderful as the universe is, because that universe is uh, one that is made by Almighty God, we should look beyond it and look back to its maker. Clap your hands when you see the pyrotechnic displays of the cosmos, but fall on your face in worship when you catch a glimpse of the God who created that cosmos. All glory be to God the Creator and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, now and forevermore. Amen. In our New Testament reading, John recounts a story that all four of the Gospel writers record, but John tells this story with particularly vivid detailing. And that's because of all four of the Gospel writers, only John was actually at this scene. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us the basic facts, the outline of the story. Peter was at the courtyard waiting for the trial of Jesus to end. A maid comes up and asks him, aren't you a disciple? And he denies it. He's asked again and he denies it. A third time he's asked and he denies it. And then the rooster rooster crows. And Peter remembers the prophetic words of Christ who told Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have the details of this event as as second-hand information. They heard the story from the folks who had been there, and so they tell the narrative with just the cold, hard facts. But John, with his first-hand knowledge of that night, gives us a richer and sharper view of what transpired. Both John and Peter were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas, leading a group of Roman soldiers and temple officials, came. It was a classic lynch mob, a rabble armed with lanterns and torches and weapons. Simon Peter, determined to be the hero, draws a sword and strikes out at the servant of the high priest and cuts off his right ear. Jesus tells Peter to put his sword away. The soldiers tie Jesus up and lead him off to be tried. John, writing his gospel many years after these events transpired, remembered quirky details that the other gospel writers missed. He even remembered the name of the poor guy whose ear was cut off, Malchus. John, like most good storytellers, keeps his mind on the theme of the story. He stays focused Luke, in his gospel, writes about how Jesus didn't leave the Garden of Gethsemane until he had healed Malchus. Well, Luke, being a doctor, was interested in the medical issues. But John, as a storyteller, stays focused on the theme of the story, which at this point is Peter. John focuses on the apparent bravery of Peter, the extreme devotion of Peter, the loyalty of the disciple to the master... And without letting us forget that picture of Peter, John rushes the story forward to give us this startling contrast. 
this brave disciple named Peter, whose name means rock, suddenly crumbles into a cowardly weakling, deserving our wrath and our pity and our anger. These two disciples, Peter and John, follow Jesus as he's being led away to be tried by the high priest and by the other officials. Surprisingly, John knows the high priest. Maybe he's visited the house before. Verse 16 says, So the other disciple, that's John, who was known to the priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Okay, so John is already inside of the house, and Peter's been left outside of the house, and it's John who goes to the door and has him let in. Peter, who is ashamed and uncomfortable and afraid, is initially left outside of the gate of the high priest's house with his hands in his pocket and his heart in his throat. It is John who, having noticed Peter's absence, speaks to the girl at the gate and lets him in. And it is this girl who first asks Peter, are you also not one of this man's disciples? The way she asked the question, you can tell that she knew that John was a disciple. Since, and since John indicated a friendship with Peter, she rightly assumes that Peter is also a disciple. But to the surprise of John, When the woman asks Peter if he also is a disciple of Christ, he says, I am not. From the context, it's clear that John has not denied Christ, though his peril is exactly the same as Peter's. What John remembers next is the chill of the night. It was cold. A fact left out of the other Gospels, but John can't forget it because he was there, and it was cold. It was cold enough to build a fire. Another fact left out of the other Gospels, but John remembers the fire, and he even remembers that it was a charcoal fire. Every weekend from that night on, when the neighborhood was filled with the aroma of charcoal fires, what John would think of would not be the flavor of fresh fish cooked on an open fire, but rather the night cold there in the courtyard as they gathered around the fire waiting to see the outcome of Christ's trial. While standing around that fire, others asked the same question, word for word the same. You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And again, Peter gives the same reply, again, word for word the same, I am not. And then came the last person Peter would want to see, a servant of the high priest, a relative of Malchus, the very man whose ear Peter had cut off a short time before. Again, the question is asked, but this time the words are changed. It's not a question any longer. It's an accusation. Did I not see you in the garden with him? And again, Peter begins his well-rehearsed answer. No. But before he can finish, the rooster crows, and Peter remembers the prophecy of Jesus that he, Peter, would deny knowing the Lord three times before the rooster crowed. And here, John abruptly ends the scene. He shifts the story 
away. He no longer tells the story of Peter. He moves forward and focuses on Christ himself. And John doesn't mention Peter again until after the resurrection in John chapter 20. John even leaves out something that the other gospel writers included. John, who has included more information about this event than the other gospels, leaves out the words of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of whom tell us that, quote, Peter cried bitterly when he had realized what he had done. John doesn't care about that. What impresses John is not the regret that Peter felt for his cowardice, but rather the contrast between Peter, the brave and committed disciple who draws a sword, and Peter, the cowardly man who denies his relationship with Christ. One minute, Peter is willing to fight off an armed mob to protect Jesus, and then in the very next scene, 20 minutes later, half an hour later, an hour later, This man is denying that he even knows Jesus. What was it about this contrast that impressed John to such a degree that he would remember this story in such vivid detail? Was it his anger? A self-righteous anger that we feel when one of our fellow Christians is not such a devoted disciple after all? Was it shame? The kind of shame one feels toward one who should be loyal or faithful to us, but when the chips are down, they let us down? Maybe it was fear. John's fear. If brave, courageous Peter could end up weak and frightened and denying Christ, then maybe the same could happen to John. Maybe John was afraid that he would become like Peter. All of us are subject to the weakness of the flesh. Compassionate men, when given the opportunity, may take advantage of some unsuspecting soul for ruthless gain. Devoted wives may be swept into adulterous affairs. Otherwise, honest young men may suddenly catch themselves in a lie. Peter's weakness got the better of him. Peter, solid as a rock, Peter has crumbled into a sniveling coward. And John may have looked on this disaster and prayerfully asked, My God, will that ever happen to me? In the years that followed, it may have, we don't know. One thing we can be sure of is this. What might have been John's fear should certainly be ours. If strong Peter could deny Christ, Peter who had walked and lived with Jesus for three years, if strong Peter could deny Christ, we are just as vulnerable. A student sitting in a study hall, talking to a group of buddies, starts to tell something funny that happened. In church over the weekend. But before he can finish his story, one of his buddies pipes in. Church? You go to church? Feeling a flush of embarrassment and anticipating ridicule by his peers, the teenager passes it off as incidental. Oh, you know my parents. They make me go. A man goes to work on Friday and hears a racist joke. He laughs along and he doesn't speak out because he's afraid that the others will think that he's a fanatic. 
It's easier to remain quiet. Every opportunity we have to live the Christian life but fail to becomes a moment of denial. Every opportunity we have to stand up for Christ but fail to becomes a moment of denial. With good reason, we should be afraid that we may someday do the same thing Peter did, that we may deny Christ. So what hope is there for us if we do such a thing? In Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disown me, disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. When we deny that we are followers of Christ, when we disown Jesus, what hope do we have? I don't want to leave you in John chapter 18 in the courtyard of Peter's denial because the story doesn't end there. Our hope is that we can return to Christ. If we deny Christ, we can still repent of that sin and reaffirm our commitment to him. According to Paul, the first person Jesus came to see after Easter morning was Peter. We don't know what they talked about that day when Jesus made his first post-resurrection appearance to Peter. But John tells us all about what happened when Jesus made his last post-resurrection appearance to Peter. That's in the very last uh, chapter of this gospel. We'll get to it in a few weeks. At that conversation, this is the last conversation between Peter and Jesus on planet earth. It's recorded for us in John chapter 21. There were some eerie reminders of the night in the courtyard. The sun is rising in this scene and it's easy to imagine that in the distance, in some Galilean courtyard, a rooster was crowing. Just as a rooster had crowed in the courtyard of Peter's denial. When Peter approached Jesus... In this last scene, he found the master next to a fire. And of all things, it's not a wood fire, it's a charcoal fire. The aroma must have reminded Peter of the charcoal fire in the courtyard of his denial. And just as in that courtyard of denial, Peter is asked a question in this final scene. In John chapter 21, just as in the courtyard of denial, he's asked that question three times. And just as in the courtyard of denial, Peter gives consistently the same answer over and over. The question that Jesus puts to Simon Peter in the last scene, in their last encounter, is Simon Barjona, do you love me? Each answer Peter gives is the same, yes Lord, you know that I love you. After each answer and before the repetition of that answer, Jesus gives the command that Peter get his act together as a disciple and that he start acting like a Christian. In the words of Jesus, feed my sheep. And from that time on, after that final encounter between Jesus and Peter, Peter does what Jesus commands. When we deny that we are followers of Christ, when we disown Jesus, what hope do we have? 
Our hope is the same as Peter's, that we can hear the call of Christ and return to Christ. Our hope is that we can repent of that sin and reaffirm our commitment to Him and begin to feed sheep in the name of Christ. In the early church, Peter and John were a preaching team, but it was Peter who was the brave one. It was Peter who was out front. It was Peter who was the spokesman. It was Peter who was the leader. From the dust of his cowardice, Peter rises to become a great apostle. I suspect that this is the very reason John remembered so vividly the details of Peter's denial of Christ. It wasn't that he was ashamed of Peter or angry with Peter or even afraid that he might become like Peter and someday deny Christ himself. What really made this event so impressive to John was that even though a rock like Peter could crumble, even though a brave commitment to Christ could evaporate in a single evening, there is still hope. The weak, cowardly disciple can become the strong, committed leader of the church. From the dust of Peter's failure, Jesus raised a committed and devoted apostle. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, have we denied Christ? Are there times when we have avoided letting people know that we also, yes, are followers of the Lord? And even if that has happened, we need to recognize that Christ continues to call us into faithful obedience. He continues to love us and He is ready to forgive us and to raise us out of the dust of our failures so that we might be devoted disciples. We don't stand for Christ in our own strength. We don't defend the honor of Christ in our own power. It is Christ, rather, who makes us strong. It is Christ who equips us so that we can be counted worthy to be associated with Him. As the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul isn't bragging about himself. He's bragging about Jesus. And so may our prayer this morning be, God look upon us with favor. May the Spirit of Christ strengthen us for every good work. May we never deny you. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, for your word, we give you thanks this day, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, it might find its place in our heart and in our lives. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.